Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along on what it looks like, it's a bit nippy out there, but it's beautiful blue skies out there and it's nice to have a bit of dry uh, weather. Welcome you along to the programme. I've just uh, spotted uh, coming in on the news wires, but it's a tweet in from Richard Chambers of Virgin Media News that the ESB has just announced operating profits of £357 million for the first six months of this year. That's not their full year of profits. That's just for the first uh, six months. And profit after tax and exceptional items uh, is marked as €390 million. Euro. And that, according to Richard Chambers, is effectively triple what it was for the same six months of last year. And we wonder why all of our electricity bills are going up and where is all the money going? That's an incredible, incredible amount of profits just for the first six months of this year. And uh, people question why, why we need a windfall tax when you see profits like that I think people can understand why we do need a windfall tax we're going to be talking about schools on the programme in a couple of minutes particularly with regard to the school bus debacle that continues to go on Uh, and something that started out as an issue to help families with the cost of living crisis by making the school buses free this year has now led to more families being under huge stress, more families paying out more than they would have paid if they'd paid the 500 euro per, for a child or 650 if they've two children going on the school bus. We're hearing from families who've had to get together with other families to hire a bus. It's working out more expensive than if they were paying for the school bus uh, ticket. And then we're hearing of families who have to cut down on working hours in order to take children children to and from schools. We've got parents that have additional costs with diesel and petrol getting their children to and from schools. So it is, it still is one of those issues that you wonder while, you know, in fairness to Norma Foley, the Minister for Education, she was trying to do the right thing in hindsight. Would she look back and say, "Mm, maybe I should not have jumped in and just straight away across the board given everybody a free bus uh, ticket. So while that issue is going on, there's another issue going on with schools that I actually predicted uh, I think as early as the start of the summer when we were seeing the rises in the cost of living and this is to do with schools saying that they are now struggling to collect the voluntary contributions from uh, parents because of course the cost of living crisis is deepening and it's across all societies all of society. Principals say that the funding shortfall will force many schools to have to cut back on teaching materials they're certainly going to have to just 
cancel school uh, trips. They're looking at their heating bills. How are they going to pay their heating bills? They're going to have to cut back on their heating unless the government come up with extra funding uh, and they're going to have to do it as soon as possible because those electricity bills, those heating bills are already starting to arrive into the schools. Most primary and secondary schools, I would say practically all of them, request some kind of an annual payment from uh, parents. And usually the excuse that's used from the schools is they ask for the voluntary contribution. They say, look, it's going to pay for things like photocopying. It'll pay for any resources we need for the classroom. Schools often quote insurance costs have gone so high in a recent uh, year and just anything else, any other bills that are coming in, it helps them to pay off the bills. Now, according to the Irish Times today, the average voluntary contribution uh, this year runs at €81 if your child is in primary level. Now, at your school, that might be lower or higher. They're just giving an average amount for the whole of the country. And in secondary school, they say the average voluntary contribution is around the €124 mark. And they're basing those figures that came out from Bernardo's when they were doing their back to school uh, survey. However, schools say that there has been a huge drop in payments compared to this time last year with other schools uh, reporting that they have sent reminders out to parents but even the reminders they're getting little response and normally once the reminder goes out a parent will go oh my god I've got to pay that it was a genuine mistake and usually there'll be a flood of money into the schools but the, some of the schools are saying look we're sending out the reminders and we're still not getting the voluntary contributions back Porrick Clarkin is with the his chief executive with the Irish Primary Principals Network he's quoted as saying that most schools are left with no choice but to ask parents for these contributions contributions because the capitation payments, which is the money they get from the department to run the, the schools and the other grants that are avail- available to them, simply do not cover the day-to-day costs of running a school. He says schools are underfunded in the first place, which is why so many schools have to rely on voluntary contributions. And it goes towards filling the gaps between those utility bills, like the electricity and the heating, the, te- the teaching resource, any maintenance that might need to be done in the school but he said in many cases it really is just the basics and he said everyone is worried about not having enough funding this year capitation rates of course were cut during the last financial crisis and they still haven't been fully restored I know there was a little bit given back uh, last year and the year before but they're still not back to where they were uh, before the last financial uh, crisis. And actually, Linda Dennehy is principal in school, Isagon Infant School in Mallow. She's quoted in the paper as saying just in her school, voluntary contributions are down by 30% compared to this time last year. They say they've noticed a huge drop in parents who have the ability to pay at a time when bills are massively rising. The bills are rising at home, but the bills are also rising for the school. She says that they don't want to ask, but she said simply their hands are tied and their budgets are really, really tight as things stand at the moment. There was another principal of a school in County Louth. Uh, he's predicting that schools now are going to have to rely on fundraising to make ends meet this year. And that's going to be difficult because that fundraising, it's again turning to the parents uh, for help. The principal uh, said that in in, in all cases there are those who will contribute and, and they will um, but there will also be people who simply uh, can't and he said it's very complicated given that the parents and the families themselves are having huge rises in domestic bills and that's from the primary level then moving to the secondary level the joint managerial body now they represent more than 400 voluntary secondary schools 
they're calling on the government uh, the, they're calling on the government for a commitment to eliminate the need for schools to ever have to go to parents to look for a voluntary contribution and there was there was a call for to phase it out over three years and the joint managerial body says as energy costs for families increase and the general cost of living inflation spirals it's becoming increasingly difficult at on every level including morally for schools to go out and ask parents for a voluntary subscription because he said they know that you know the parents uh, this teachers and the principals are only too aware of the families that they're dealing with and they know how hard pressed some of the families are but they were saying that the the, the def, there's a deficit there and the government has to make up that de- deficit and has to give the correct funding and they've asked for that in their pre-budget submission. Now the Department of Education um, a source is quoted as saying that while the budget still remains under discussion schools they say will not be found wanting and appropriate levels of additional funding will be secured. A spokesman says further increases in the capitation grant, for example, certainly has been considered as part of the upcoming budget. But there is yet another group waiting on the budget in what two weeks' time. Uh, there's so many people just waiting on the budget and to see how much are they going to get so then they can work out are they going to have uh, enough. So there's another group that we can add to the list of people waiting to see what is going to be contained in the budget at the end of the month. 0818. 103 103 did you pay your school your voluntary subscription or are you one of those parents who simply you know you've got to put food on the table you've got to pay your own electricity bill you have to pay your own heating bill and obviously you're going to look after your own home first and probably for many parents they would always have paid the voluntary contribution but this might be the one year that they simply just don't have it when I mentioned the ESB profits I prompted William Glanmire to say that the government VAT rate must have tripled with the intake from the energy company's profits yeah because when all of our electricity bills go up because we pay VAT on all of the units that we use. Of course the VAT rate has gone up and that's been reflected in the Exchequer uh, figures. Uh, Willie cannot understand why the government haven't reduced uh, VAT. They're giving us these energy credits of uh, 200 euro but really all they're doing is giving us back what we've given them already in uh, VAT over the years which is uh, very true. Thank you for that uh, Willie and thank you to a listener who doesn't want to name her that that's fine who, who sent an email into patricia at c103.ie to alert people to a scam text that is doing the rounds. Actually, this was an email rather than a text. This listener got an email and it looked like it came from the HSE telling her that she was a close contact of somebody with uh, Omicron, which of course will not happen. Asking her to click on the link to order a mandatory test kit. When she clicked on the link, they were looking for things like her IBAN details. They were looking for all of her bank account uh, details because they said there would be a charge for these mandatory test kit of €2.37 for delivery and they'll always go for a very small amount of money that's trying to suck you in. She contacted the HSC immediately. They confirmed it is, is a scam. She's passed it on to us to say, will you alert people, please? So keep a lookout if you get an email from the HSC uh, looking for you to click on a link. It is a scam. Please don't click on the link. And in Newcastle, 
uh, Limerick, uh, Newcastle listener, um, Newcastle West listener, my apologies, County Limerick uh, listener has been on to us to say how annoyed he is about Limerick GAA and the fundraiser that they have just announced. Now, we know... Um, you know, every single organisation we were just talking about the schools will possibly have to do fundraisers in order to keep the lights and the heating on in the school. And that's kind of an understandable reason for a fundraiser. But what this listener is talking about is the Limerick GAA, who, of course, won the All-Ireland hurling final uh, last year. They have launched a holiday fundraiser for the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Team. That's the norm, isn't it? When the team wins the um, the All-Ireland, uh, normally the County GAA will take them away and they'll go off, I don't know, to, to the Lanzarote or to maybe they go to Florida, maybe they go to far flung. I don't know where they actually go on holidays. But and I don't know, it does this happen in every other county that they actually launch a holiday fundraiser. But the point that's been made there, it, it's been there's been a number of people given out in Limerick about this, saying it's slightly toned deaf with everything that's going on with the cost of living crisis. How can you expect the good people of, in this case, Limerick? to pay for a holiday for the All-Ireland Senior Hurling team. Now, I take it there'll be other people will say, look, they won the All-Ireland Hurling. They deserve their holiday in the sun. And, you know, that the supporters of hurling in in Limerick, um, you know, the joy that they got throughout the year in watching this team, that this is a kind of a payback to the team. Now, what they've done for this particular fundraiser is they're selling the new training Jersey, which features the names of all the sponsors, um, and that's part of the campaign to fund the holiday. They're asking fans for 150 euro. For the 150 euro, they get the new training jersey, they get a club beanie to put on their heads and keep them warm for the winter, and they also get a letter from the manager and the captain. I suppose the letter is is saying thank you. As I say, the campaign has been described as some in Limerick as embarrassing. Others say it is a joke, particularly with the cost of living continue to climb. And our listener in Newcastle West agrees that it is embarrassing and it is a joke and he wonders how if it was a Cork team had won the All-Ireland how would Cork fans feel uh, would they like to see a fundraiser like this launched for a Cork team 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie earlier in the week I spoke with local county councillors uh, one from North Cork one from West Cork who were both outlining the frustrations and concerns of families who children cannot access a seat on the school bus this year. Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard raised the issue at the Senate yesterday and he joins me to let me know how he got on. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. And, and you're welcome. You described it as a system that is broken. I take it that every public rep has a story to tell of families in their constituency. I'm sure there's thousands of stories out there at the moment about what's happening out there with school transportation, like the figures that we're hearing is that the greater than 9,000 children effectively um, applied for the scheme but have not got an actual seat at this stage. Like in my own part of the world in West Cork, I have nearly 180, 190 kids on to you now at the moment. Um, it's always been a pinch point. This time of year has always been an issue about school transportation, about getting places, but never with the actual numbers we have before. Like I've never come across a scenario where we've gone over 100 and we're nearly double that now at this stage. And it is a really significant issue for so many working families and so many people that depend on the school transportation scheme over the last few years that should get their kids to school. 
And while the Minister for Education, her intentions were honourable in giving the free bus to everyone, it's backfired, hasn't it? It really has. I think you're looking at a scenario that the frustrations that stay in communities is beyond belief. Um, and the majority of people that I'm talking to already are previously had seats on the bus. And I think that's the big issue. Um, they would have had second, third, fourth years and even family members before them would have all failed the school transportation scheme. And this year, because of the change in the scheme and it being made free of charge and more people applying, their criteria slightly changed and they're now effectively thrown off the bus. And uh, to say it's frustrating is an understatement. And um, it's just fierce anger out there at the moment about this. And I think the minister would have had come to the Shannon uh, during the week and spoke to senators about this issue. Um, it was unprecedented that we'd five senators bring up the exact same issue on the day with her, which is something in my time in the Shannon I've never seen before. And off the back of that, and because time was so tight, we've done something called a private member's motion for next Wednesday, where the minister won't be coming to Shannon for 10 or 12 minutes. She'll be spending two hours in the Shannon debating this issue with every member of the Shannon, because for us, it's probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue that's there at the moment, nationally and locally when it comes to the great need that's out there. And were, were you in any way satisfied with the response from the Minister for Education, Norma Foley? Oh, absolutely not. I think uh, the response was that she was going back to review that started in February 2021. She was hoping that the review was going to be the solution to the problem itself. And that review was ongoing and had no timeline when that review was going to be finished. But the issue here is about the changes that that minister made to the scheme. She made two significant changes. One was that she made it free, which meant that there was more people going to apply. But the big issue is that she extended the date so people would have applied traditionally in the month of April. Um, sorry, the month of, yeah, the month of April, the end of April is traditionally the date you apply for the scheme. She extended that till the end of July. And because of that, we had an extra 44,000 people who applied for the scheme. But the problem was the people who already applied in the month of April would have had a seat traditionally, now were thrown off the bus. So if we were to have a fair look at this scheme, the people that applied first day always in the month of April. They are the people that we should have given priority to and that would have solved most of the problems we have at the moment. But I think we have to look at several issues here. One is capacity of uh, the actual schools, of the actual bus service itself. We've issues with age of drivers and capacity of buses. I think there's a solution there. We know there's buses out there. We know there's Compline, Capel, Garda Vetted drivers. We do have to tweak the age regarding the age of profile of, gar- of drivers that drive the buses. We've changed legislation to, to, to have that um, happen. But what we really need here now is the minister to acknowledge that there's a problem. And because of that, we need a new budget. And I think that's what we need. If we're to wait for a review, that review will not be finished in time for this academic year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's always the case when you offer something for free that you will have people applying for it who's technically their children are in, are entitled to it in that they live the required distance from the school, but who don't necessarily use the school bus because maybe the parents go to work in the morning. It suits them to bring the children in and collect them in the in the afternoon. But just because something is free, you've had more people suddenly applying for it. You, I mean, you have a case of, of a parent who only needs to use her child only needs to use the bus on I think it's a Wednesday afternoon but doesn't need to use it any other yeah. day of the week 
Yes, yeah, so I had a parent who was spoken to me in the street about this issue, and what a wonderful scheme it was. And she was telling me that uh, if there was 10 trips going to school, she could do nine of them, but it was the half a day in the Wednesdays when she was caught. And because of that, now she applied for the scheme, she has three kids on it, and out of 10 journeys, they use it once. And she was explaining to me the virtues of a wonderful scheme it was. I nearly dropped dead because, like, literally we have nine seats or nine trips with three seats in that bus continuously empty. And the same bus I have parents literally gone to me today to know will seats come available because that bus at, this morning was only at half capacity. And that's a real issue for us. I think when you make something universally free, you will have issues like that build up. Like we should have a scenario that, you know, you have to use it if you get it. And if you don't use it, you lose it. And I think that's something that really had to be looked at within the actual makeup of the scheme itself. But I really feel for the people that had applied last April in good faith and were traditionally always on this bus. And now because of a change of the criteria and extension to date, they effectively got thrown off that bus. Yeah, it's the, yeah. I just think it's, it's a, the terminology unintended consequences come to mind. But there is a logic here that because the minister made two really significant changes, one is the extension of the date and the other was the actual make it free of charge. She effectively changed how the, fee, how the scheme worked and it had a massive impact on so many working families and how they could run their daily lives. OK, and stay, stay there because I want to bring in one of those parents. Rose uh, joins me and, and, and I don't know if many others have a similar story to Rose. Uh, good morning to you, Rose. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Ro- How are you? I'm very well, uh, thank you. You were part of the group of parents who had to go away and hire a bus, wasn't it? You did yeah, it yourselves. we had to hire a bus, yeah. yeah. Now, we would have um, concessionary tickets. Um, my daughter started in Mitchellstown in um, 2017. Now, our buses would be for my for non-concessionary. But for personal reasons, I'd send my daughter to Mitchellstown. So she had a concessionary ticket for two years. And then um, there was no more concessionary tickets. Uh, Her seat was gone on the bus. So a few parents carpooled. That didn't work out. So we started to get a private run. And uh, this year then, we were, you know, with the free buses, um, we applied for the concessionary tickets. And on on the date that we start school, we um, had no concessionary tickets. So we had to go ahead then and book the private bus. Otherwise, the 10 children from Glanworth. And some of the families had two children in the family had to book the private bus because we would have lost our seat. And two weeks after, in the door came the concessionary ticket. Oh, my God. And you've already paid, was it €400 Euro per child, isn't it? Is 400 what? per child. Now, we're happy oh. that we had, had an option of bringing our children to school. But with the way... The country has gone now with everything gone up like 400 euros. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But you, I mean, I know uh, Tim mentioned that the Minister Foley spoke about this review that's going on on the school bus uh, scheme. I I, I take it, Rose, you want an end to this concessionary 
tickets? We do because um, we're not far from Mitchellstown, you know, and um, there is people who want to send their children there because of personal reasons. Yeah, and yeah. Um, this catchment area needs to be reviewed. It's old, old laws going back years ago. And, and I'll bring it, Tim, Rose is right. There, I mean, parents should be allowed to choose the school that they want to send their children to. It shouldn't be based on, as the crow flies, how many miles or kilometres away from the nearest school you are. Parents should have choice. Totally, because different schools prioritise different issues, whether it's academic, whether it's practical issues, whether it's even sporting issues. There's loads of things about, and even the size of school comes into it as well, you know, big school versus small school, and also the special ed capacity regarding different schools. So when you have that real difference of schools, you have to have the ability for parents to have a choice to know where they want to send their kids. And I think that's the part of the big review that she's proposing. But what the Minister hasn't got is that she has systematically changed the scheme in two issues. And because of that, she's, it's created complete chaos. And I said in the Shannon, the system is broken because, as you just heard there, that poor lady got her tickets after her child went to school. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're to plan this, twelve, we know how we know this is going to happen next September. We know schools open next September. We can be planning this now. I do not understand why, literally in the second week of September, that poor lady gets tickets in the door. It doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, and and something, an announcement that was designed to make savings for families has instead heaped additional costs on some of the families in trying to find alternatives, let alone the stress levels, Tim, that it's, it's putting on people. And I think that stress level, I've never come across that issue. Like I'm in Banhasic at the moment, I'm meeting parents at 11 o'clock here. Like, like it's beyond belief Like these people are just taking time off work to meet me to discuss their issue about their kids because they're so frustrated. And the stress levels are beyond belief. I really feel that when we designed the scheme, we didn't put enough thought into it. And because we didn't put enough thought into it, and because of the two major changes she made, she effectively knocked the people that were on the bus off oh, the bus. Yeah. And Rose, you, and you're, we, that, you, your private bus is continuing to operate. Is it taking the 10 children? Oh, it is. Like, yeah. we've paid the fees and yeah. Um, yeah. He'll, operate, he'll operate now for the school year. Yeah, and, and you, he, come, you... he comes to the village. He comes to the village, and um, you know it's it, it's brilliant to have the option. But yeah, I, I absolutely. Think. Were you the only parent to get concessionary tickets? Did you hear? Did any of the other parents no, get them? No, my daughter got one for my grandson. She got one the same day. All right. Now I haven't heard of any other people. Okay, so there are some. So there obviously was capacity on the local bus. Um, they said they were providing an. Ex- Bus oh, carry great. The, great. The concessionary. Great. And let's hope, they, let's hope we'll see more of that. All right. Listen. But then you have to bring them up two miles up oh, the road okay. to get that bus. All right. There's a sting in the tail. All right, Rose. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Um, okay. And so, and so, Tim, it's back to Bus Air. And I know they say that they're still working on the uh, issue. And we do know that there are buses available. I mean, because point that was made during the week, during COVID times, because of social distancing, we had to put on all the extra buses. So there are buses available. Absolutely. And talking to bus operators around Cork and even Ireland in the last few days, they've all been ringing to say they have capacity in the system. They have the buses, they can get the drivers. Some are caught with the age profile of drivers and they just need that sorted. But there is capacity to sort out this. 
and I also think in fairness to Bus Aaron, and I'd be fighting every day of the week, the admin staff in Bus Aaron were thrown under the bus literally because they had a completely different remit here because they had an extra 44,000 kids thrown on board with them in the month of July. And they weren't staffed to take the calls, take the emails, or to get back to us. And I think if we just didn't plan it through, because there has been literally chaos in the last few weeks. And that word frustration, I've never seen the frustration level so high. And like a scheme that should have been a good news story that really is about making sure the parents aren't going to be paying more for actual school transportation, as you've seen with your last caller. They are paying more because we didn't plan it. Yeah, that. yeah. Okay, and just by the way, uh, Boss Aaron have said they now have a new dedicated contact number to deal with school transport queries. It's uh, 01522 01522 And they're also saying, obviously, queries can be emailed uh, to the local school transport office as well. Okay, Tim, I'll let you get away to chat with those parents. But thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, West Cork uh, Senator Tim uh, Lambert. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, yesterday, the Dáil heard impassioned pleas for mental health beds to be retained at Bantry General Hospital, with a proposal, of course, on the table to reduce the beds, currently at 18, to reduce them to 11. Social Democrat TD Holly Kern says the Minister for Health for Mental Health must intervene and she needs to do it quickly. Deputy Holly Kearns uh, joins me. Good morning, Holly. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, this proposal to reduce the beds, it comes from the Mental Health uh, Commission. Is there any part of their proposal that you agree with? Well, from the Mental Health Commission's point of view, their job is to just ensure that our facilities um, are up to scratch, that they're up to standard. So I don't think that any of us can say we don't want that. What the Mental Health Commission is not charged with is ensuring that we have enough beds. That is the job of the HSE. So I'm not saying I disagree with the Mental Health Commission. They're doing their job. The HSE is trying to do their job. And I think ultimately what we need is the government to do their job. So it's an extremely worrying issue that needs to be resolved straight away. Um, and I've been liaising with HSE management on the issue since I was made aware of it. And so, like you said, due to a finding from the Mental Health Commission, the HSC has to reduce the beds in Bantry Hospital Health Unit from 18 to 11 because there was issues identified around uh, the building, like levels of occupancy in rooms and other safety concerns for people who are extreme, um, experiencing extreme mental health issues. So the Commission's findings are legally binding and the HSE the only way they can appeal it is through the district court and that has to happen within 10 weeks or three weeks of the decision. So the HSE have gotten legal advice and I think it's most likely or hopefully they are going to appeal it and myself and other public representatives are urging them to do that um, and to appeal immediately. But for the appeal to be actually successful or even feasible the HSE needs to have a proper resourced plan that is ready showing how they can and will improve the Bantry Hospital facilities. So no one wants to compromise on standards and nobody wants those beds to close. So basically the commissioner doing their job, the HSC are aware they need to do theirs. Now what they need is the government to enable that by putting in a fully funded plan in place to address the issues immediately. 
um, and ultimately to save those beds. Yeah, but, so, be, but because of the rural nature of West Cork, uh, Holly, there are obviously yeah. no other mental health beds uh, av- available close by. So, but, so surely that must be taken into consideration when experts make recommendations. I mean, I, when they made yeah. the recommendation, they had to realise that the closest mental health beds, if you close down a section of them in Bantry, I am assuming people going into Cork City. Yeah, over hours away for some people, depending on where you're located in West yeah. Cork. And that's actually one of the first things when I got wind of this and spoke to uh, management and HSC about it. I said, how can the Mental Health Commission make this recommendation? Presuming that they have an obligation to ensure that we have enough beds, it's not reasonable, it's not feasible for people to be travelling to the city. And the HSC actually said to me, no, that's not their problem. That's our problem. That is the HSC's problem. Um, unfortunately, you know, mm. so... Because you know, the commission say, at, and you're completely right. The commission say that the changes are in line with the, uh, best practice, uh, but surely best practice is to build on if it's what ex- if it's extra space they're identifying uh, is what is needed. So build on, don't cut down on the beds. Surely that's best practice. Absolutely, and what I haven't been able to find out to date is have the HSE been warned about this by the Mental Health Commission previously? Have they said you need to improve the standard of this? facility have they said that many times and it hasn't been done I'm not sure if it's standard for them to go in this hard and that's something I'm trying to establish but you're right Patricia because when we're looking at a reduction from of, from 18 beds to 11 and speaking to HSC management the average capacity in the mental health unit in Bantry at the moment is generally around 16 maybe 14 it's never 11 and oftentimes then it would be 18 as well. So, you know, and you said, I beg the question, where will people go? Going to the city, not feasible. So what will happen to those, you know, three to five, potentially six, seven people who need those beds? And it seems like the only feasible thing that could be looked at is to potentially move them to places like Carrigmore or to the um, the facility attached to the Mercy. But those facilities are not acute. So yeah. moving somebody out of acute care simply because they've reduced the number of beds is moving somebody out of acute care for all of the wrong reasons. Um, so like you said, myself and Michael Collins raised it as well in the Dole this week um, on Wednesday night. And it was with the junior minister um, under the Department of Health, Frank Fagan. And I have to say that I wasn't in the least bit reassured by his answer. It was kind of one of those standard answers you get where ministers read off a script that they've been given out by their department, talking about strategies and visions, but nothing of substance. Um, so it's extremely worrying that the government doesn't seem to be taking it as seriously as it needs to, because without immediate intervention, and we've got an upcoming budget, those beds will close. So it's in their power, it's in their hands. We need the Minister for Mental Health, that's Maria Butler, and the Minister for Health, the Senior Minister, Stephen Donnelly, to step up to save these beds. It's an absolutely vital service for West Cork. It provides essential help, and we've heard so many um, kind of personal stories and everything since this announcement came about about how much this facility has helped people. The staff in Bantry do incredible work, not only, of course, in mental health services, but in essential health care for the reason. And it has to be said as well that this whole situation and the kind of absence of political oversight of our health services in West Cork, it really feeds into those local fears that we all have around the future of the hospital. So action from the government won't only help save this service, but it will help, I think, kind of boost confidence in the continued role of Bantry Hospital in our community. Yeah. 
And, um, and, and, and why, when I read this report uh, first, Holly, my immediate you know, reaction was there's, we know that there's going to be an increased demand for psychiatric services. We know what's happening with the ment- mental yeah. health. Uh, you know, it, the timing on this could not be worse. And then even to say, oh, well, you know, well, there, there'll be capacity. They can go to uh, the city. All we're doing there then is putting extra pressure on the city services, which are already stretched. Exactly. And they're about to be further stretched because there is some funding um, allocated into um, upgrading those units. So when there's works going on, they're going to have to reduce occupancy as well. So we have to kind of wonder as well, will there actually be space to even move people to the city? Not to mention the fact that it's not an appropriate solution for people to be so far from their support networks, their families, um, all of those things when you're experiencing mental health issues. And, you know, you're right to cite the kind of the bigger overall picture around mental health services in Ireland because they've yet to be, I think, really taken seriously. And we know the fallout from the pandemic, all the different pressures and stresses that people are experiencing nowadays, like mental health reform points out that our national mental health budget represents only 5.1 of our total health budget. Mm. And Patricia, the World Health Organization recommends 12%. It's always been the Cinderella, though. It's always been the Cinderella of the health service. It really has. And that deficiency is being felt uh, with insufficient staff to meet current needs. Um, And, you know, we have amazing staff in our mental health services in Ireland. They're understaffed. They need more support and funding and acknowledgement from the Department of Health. Um, When it comes to taking mental health seriously, we've got lots of campaigns and kind of champions really trying to fill those gaps where the state has kind of abdicated responsibility. But specialist healthcare will always have to do the heavy lifting. And we need more therapists in the community. We need more psychologists, psychiatrists, nurses, social workers, occupational therapies, peer support workers in all HSE regions. And like we know that the waiting lists for child and adolescent mental health services, CAMS, um, that needs to be addressed. The importance of early interventions can't be overstated. Um, and we have over 2,000 children on, and young people on CAMS waiting lists and people who need services being refused from CAMS because, you know, they need to be like more kind of in more of a desperate situation. So we have to wait till people get into a desperate situation to get onto a waiting list of over 2000. And like on the matter of kind of this funding our mental health services, I think just to give an example to your listeners of how kind of just utterly obscene it is, another matter I've repeatedly raised under this department is the lack of eating disorder treatment services. And shockingly, no funding was allocated on the East, under that treatment plan in 2020. And then in 2019, Patricia, 1.6 million was allocated and not one cent of that was spent. I remember us doing yeah. an interview fundraising for a girl who, uh, who openly admitted she was going to die if she didn't get the help that she needed and she'd got into a private facility. But her friends, we do, the organised fundraisers for shocking. And that's still going on today. There's fundraisers. If you want to go fund me, you'll see people fundraising to try and get private care for eating disorders because that is the mental health condition most associated with mortality. And at the moment, there are three inpatient beds in the entire country and all of those beds are in Dublin. So if you don't live in Dublin, you're probably not going to get one. Okay. And like I have a friend who works in the UK. They're, they're, they're seeing more and more Irish people going over for services. So that's the desperate state our mental health services and are in. And unfortunately, and we've seen an increase in eating disorders because of, of the pandemic. It's it's truly shocking. OK, yeah. I'm running out of time. I'm going, to, I'm going to leave it there. It's a fight that's going to continue. Uh, Holly, in the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning.
Thanks, Patricia. And just finally, the call for people is we need the government to fund this. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. That is uh, West Cork Social Democrat uh, Deputy Holly Kearns. Um, And I have to say, we've had uh, so many people contact us from when it was mentioned about this report from the uh, Mental Health Commission to reduce the bed. So many families are coming forward. And it's a difficult issue to talk about. People talking about their family members who've, who've had mental health issues in the past, but so many talking about how important that unit at Bantry General Hospital uh, was and continues to be. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp us at 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Court today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And thank you, there's no name on this, but somebody sent me in a WhatsApp asking me to give a mention to Steve Redmond, the wonderful West Cork swimmer. Because as we speak, Steve is attempting to swim from Baltimore around the Fastnet Rock and on to Mizzen Head today. Now, he started at 6am this morning. Uh, so he is four hours in at this stage. He's doing well and he's doing the swim as a fundraiser for Marymount University Hospital. And he is hoping to raise €5,000 for the hospice. Somebody's asked us to give a mention. We're only too glad to give it a mention. So, uh, and what I suggest to people, if you go on to Steve Redmond's Facebook uh, page, there's actually a link on that that is tracking in real time Steve's swim. So I've hit on the tracker and I can tell you, he, as you say, he left Baltimore six o'clock this morning, went out through the gap down past uh, Shirkin Island and he's kind of over halfway around Cape uh, Clear. Certainly looks like he got a nice day for it, but it's an incredible, it's an incredible uh, undertaking from a guy who we've spoken with many, many times in the past. And of course, Stephen, well known because he was first to complete the Ocean's Sevens uh, Challenge. He's a remarkable man, but he's doing this in aid of Marymount University Hospice. So we wish Steve the very best of luck. And if, as I say, if you go on to his Facebook page, Steve Redmond's Ocean's Seven, uh, Seven Swim Challenge is the name of his Facebook page. There is a link to the tracker, but there's also a link to the fundraising that he's doing for Marymount. We wish Steve good luck. Okay, reaction to Holly Kearns who joined us in the last hour about the closure of the possible closure of these beds in Bantry at the mental health uh, unit. Some of your calls in. Um, hi uh, Patricia, those in inverted commas critical deficiencies that was mentioned in the Mental Health Commission's uh, report is the state facing some kind of liability in the form of lawsuit or a civil case, ponders one listener. Someone else says, Patricia I can't understand Understand where Deputy Holly Kearns is coming from when she says there are no beds available for mental health services. A relative of mine was in St. Stephen's Hospital in Glamire. They give exceptional care to patients and the unit was beautiful. Plenty of available beds uh, but yet they are not being filled. Why is this? Well I think the fact of what we're talking about today on the programme is the fact that the unit is in Bantry and people that use the unit in Bantry are from the West Cork area. And what we would be asking people to do if we reduce the beds from 18 down to 11 and the 11 get filled and then suddenly the 12th person needs care, asking them to go to the city is simply not fair. It's not fair on the patient and it certainly isn't fair on their family support because, you know, a lot of people when they're battling mental health, they rely on that uh, family support. 
Um, and but St Stephen's doing fantastic work in the city for sure uh, thank you for your text Councillor Declan Hurley says Patricia it's very hard to comprehend that patient capacity at Bantry Centre for mental health care and recovery be reduced from 18 to 11 to better accommodate mental health service standards if you go back go back through the Dáil debates of the of year, many years ago you will see how Bantry was originally destined to be a much larger facility to cater for the needs of the large West Coast area providing full medical services. Is it time to revisit those dull debates of the 1940s and onwards and see how could a much poorer Ireland back then intend to provide better services than we appear to have today? It's clear that a lack of funding has led to such findings by the Mental Health Commission. The government and the HSE need to step up to the mark and provide the necessary fundings to bring this much needed West Cork facility back uh, to complete standards instead of downgrading it. And that's one of the points I made to uh, Holly. If they point out that there's something wrong with the standards, then work on it to bring the standards up and, if anything, increase the beds. Anne-Marie uh, joins me from Bantry on this topic. Uh, good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Hi, Patricia. How uh, are you? I'm very well, uh, thank you. And I appreciate you taking our call because you're very much coming at this topic from a personal family point of view in that your late brother used the service and, and, and firstly sympathies and condolences on the loss of your brother uh, last year. How important was this unit to your brother, Jerry Amory? Thanks, Patricia. And I suppose thanks for giving me time to come on the ears this morning and speak with you. So for Jory, um, Jory suffered from bipolar disorder, Patricia, which is quite a complex mental health illness. Um, for anyone that doesn't understand it, it's like a, a chemical imbalance in the brain. And when Jory had issues, would say, you know, especially in the last 15, 20 years, we had the availability of Bantry Hospital. And when he was admitted to the hospital, Patricia, he received, I would say, excellent individual care. The psychiatric staff, they were amazing. I would say they gave him, you know, not alone reviewing his medical condition, but giving him the time getting to know him, understanding the complexity, I'd say, of bipolar disorder. And Jerry often said to me when he came home from hospital that, you know, he was he felt happy there. He felt safe and loved when he was admitted. Wow. Well, then there are three such important things to feel mm. happy, to feel safe and yeah. to feel loved in a unit like that. That's that's incredible. And that very much goes back to the care of the staff, doesn't it? Hundred percent. The staff are amazing. I couldn't. I could write books on them. They just not alone for Jory, Patricia, but us as a family as well. Trying to support Jory. I mean, we we only understand so much of it from our experience with with Jory, but they understand that medically, they helped us to enable Jory to have the best life he could during his time on Earth here. And for 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 people who suffer from uh, bipolar, Emery, they, they can get periods of wellness where where they're okay. But then, it's when they go downhill. That's when they need to have the care and attention, and they need it quickly. And they need it. I'm a, I I take it as, as in Jerry's case, as close to home as possible. Yeah, you've you've hit the nail on the head there, Patricia. Like it's when Jerry had you know with bipolar, it's high and low episodes of being down and then being high as well. And time is critical. Like, time is absolutely crucial to get help. And with the proximity of Bantry to us, you're talking about 30, 40 minutes 
compared to having to travel to the city and get admitted there, that proximity in that time was absolutely key in getting him into a stable state. And him knowing that as well allowed him to want to be admitted. He knew as he, I suppose, grew up with the illness, Patricia, he could understand when he was starting to have one of these episodes and he would even want to be part of the psychiatric care at Bantry because he knew that they would help him and he would, as you mentioned, be stable with their care. Yeah, and I know the listener, uh, obviously it's a city listener pointing out about the the St. Stephen's Hospital in Glamire and, you know, their relative goes there and they're getting great care. Um, But missing the point that while St. Stephen's Hospital is great, it's too far away for people like Jerry and for your family. Because I I take it when Jerry was unwell and needed to be admitted, all of you as family members were it was important to you to get in to see him and to be able to chat to people to find out how he was getting on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you think of the proximity of West Cork and the vastness yeah. of West Cork, if I was living, you know, I'm not too bad because I'm living kind of in between, we'll say, Cork and, and Bantry, but for people living in Castletown Bear and people on the very ends of West Cork, you're talking about a two, three-hour drive to get help, and that time is crucial. And when we, I suppose, when Jory was admitted to hospital, Patricia, you know, myself and the family were able to visit him. It was, you know, it was great to be able to, to call in to see him, not be rushed. Jory would ring us and say, you know, he forgot to bring a pants or a jumper or whatever the case may be, yeah. or he might need a magazine. You know, and, you know, all of us were able to just so easily go there within time and be, you know, be welcomed in to see him as well. I mean, you could see from the smile on his face, it made us going home feel, God, you know, they're doing amazing work. We just felt, thanks be to God, he's being looked after. He's getting the best care, you know, we can provide to him as a family. And we're allowed in to see him, I suppose, you know, we'll say improve in whatever episode he's having at the time. And that's like, there's no words can describe how important that is. And the closeness of a, a medical mental health unit like Bentry, that proximity is absolutely key. And on, on average, how long would he have spent time in there when, when he did have an episode? So I was actually thinking about that last night because there's been a, a few times, obviously, he's been in there. And depending, Patricia, on, we'll say, the breakdown he would have had at the time, it could have been quite severe. And it could have been maybe a little bit lighter as well. It was ranging from maybe a week to two weeks up to maybe a month or so. Jerry was never rushed when he was inside there. but There was never kind of a push to, he needs to go out now, he's got his medicine you know reviewed here's the plan boy there was never anything like that that's why each and every one of those beds are so important because that would be the other fear that if they reduce the beds they and not the fault of the staff but they'll be aware of whether somebody else needs that bed we need to get somebody out god we know that happens in acute hospitals how they run people out of beds because they need somebody else uh, to uh, to get into it it's it's um, bipolar is it's a it's an awful disorder isn't it Anne-Marie it it, it really is cruel I remember when I heard about the first and like I suppose when Jory got it he was about 18 years old Patricia there wasn't any Google or anything like that at the time and I was I was trying to I was only what 10 years old I was trying to understand what is bipolar I had heard of depression kind of slightly but you know because of the we'll call them the manic highs and the depressive lows that come with it it's very complex and you know trying to be there to support him while only limited with our understanding at the time was difficult and when you can talk to staff as a family staff in Bentry were 
you know, bring it in layman's terms of what Jory was suffering, because sometimes he couldn't articulate how how much he was suffering, and it was difficult for us to understand how to support him. So having that, I suppose, openness with with the unit that they were trying to help us to understand how to how to work with Jory to help his health and help him recover. And as one other point, I really need to bring up as well, if you don't mind, Patricia. Yeah. The follow up, right? So, in my eyes, you know, being admitted to hospital and getting help—that's amazing. But what tops that is the follow-up. So when a patient is discharged from hospital, you know, if there's no plan in place, it's very easy for someone like Jory or other people suffering from mental health to go downhill again, right? So in the case with Jory, there was follow-up. There was calls were made, visits were made to him in his home because he was, you know, not very social when he had issues. So it was hard maybe to do follow-up visits to the hospital, but they came to see him. There was a plan put in place to try and help him to maybe reintegrate back into society, to, would say, live more independently if possible, providing options for maybe like courses and rehab, all that kind of stuff. It completely blew me away. I thought when Jerry came out of hospital, that was it. And then he was okay till his next, would say, you know, where he needed more help. But it was a follow-up. They kept in touch with him. They kept in touch with us as a family. I mean... I, I, I'm indebted to the hospital. I know we lost Jory last year, but my point is, Patricia, we would have lost Jory a lot sooner if we didn't have a place like Bantry. I know that for a fact. They give him extra life with us, and I'm forever indebted for that. Oh, an incredible statement. Well, well done. I can see a number of people saying well done to Amory and how brave of her uh, to come out and uh, talk about it. Um, and Mossy says, uh, Patricia, I hope it's not too late in the case of the, the psychiatric unit in Bantry to, to, to realise that the government of Ireland are treating the services of this country like a business. Isn't yeah. the government... Isn't government services are a business, not a service? The sooner people cop onto this, uh, the the better. And and you're you're very much saying that the fault does not lie with the staff at Bantry Hospital. This is very much the HSE need to now step up to the mark and put in the extra funding that's needed or whatever is needed to bring the service up to the standard that the mental health commission are requiring. A hundred percent. I mean, the staff can only work with what they have and they're doing, I know they're doing their entire best. They want to help people. And I suppose you made a very good point earlier, Patricia, you said when you were talking to Holly that the timing of this couldn't be worse and you're spot on. I mean, we know now, and I suppose maybe I'm more attuned to people dying from suicide since my brother passed last year, but I'm hearing more and more tragedies that families are encountering. I'm hearing of more people developing Milton health issues. And it's now that we should be investing and fixing and putting the importance on mental health and the support it deserves. And what we seem to be doing is the opposite. I just can't comprehend in my head why you would want to reduce resources. And I, I hope to God that the HSE, and I'll make this last appeal, will really, you know, look at that decision and appeal it and just make sure that that appeal is launched, that funding will be done to do and make the changes that are needed to bring Bantry Hospital up to the standards it needs to be. We need to be investing, not reducing resources.
or people's mental health is critical. Whenever we cover topics like this, I'm, I always say to people, while this mightn't be something that affects your family at the moment, you never know the day, the hour of the week Absolutely. when a family member will need, if you're living in West Cork, will need the services of this uh, unit. Listen, um, Amory, I really appreciate you taking our call uh, today. Uh, may your wonderful brother, Jerry, uh, rest in peace and your family can be very proud that you've got a, you're, you're a brilliant advocate uh, on behalf of others as well, which is, is terrific. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning so to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, Anne Marie Crowley there joining us from uh, Bantry. Uh, 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. C103 Jobs. An apprentice toolmaker is required. It's to train in programming and operating both CNC and manual lathes and milling machines. Email CVs with a cover letter, please, to info at vulcanmachining.com. Apprentice carpenters are wanted for roofing and first and second fixed carpentry on transport required 086-815-8094. Community employment schemes currently recruiting in Clonakilty, Balanascarthy, Kilbritton, Timaleague, Ahiol and Court McSherry. Various positions, including maintenance, Playground support and uh, retail. Full details are available on our website at uh, c103.ie. And carpenters are wanted in all areas of the Cork region. Call 021. 021- Two three three nine one two zero. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Now, while sadly we do hear so many negative stories about our current health uh, service, be it long waiting lists, delays at A&E departments, our elderly people having to drive into Belfast for cataract operations, as of course we discussed earlier on this week on the programme. So it is always good to highlight a positive story. Former Clonakilty Town Councillor Humphrey Deegan joins me to share his cancer journey, which I'm told began late last year. Good morning to you, Humphrey. Good morning, Patricia. Firstly, I have to ask you, how are you doing? Are you on the road to recovery? Oh, I believe we're we're going well now and we're on the road to recovery. Fantastic, fantastic. And, uh, we've, been, we've been very lucky. But before we get into my story, that, that lady with the, uh, the mental health service. Anne-Marie, it, yeah. Yeah, it's always been the Cinderella of the Irish Health Service. And oh, it, then, like funding resources just have to be provided and there's no other way around that. Yeah, and it's the nature of your, your it's the nature of West Cork. Oh, you yeah. know, the fact that people are so far away from any other service if we if you're to take a service away, that's why it's so important oh. to keep the services that are there. Now, your your yours is a very is uh, you contacted us because we do hear so many negatives, but this negative is stories. this is this yeah. is this is a positive. So I suppose yeah. go back to late late last well, year. Uh, late you, last year, er, early this year, you were starting to have symptoms. Yes, and I, you know, one of the things we need to emphasise is the not to ignore the symptoms and early diagnosis. It's everything is early diagnosis, and early diagnosis uh, put me on this journey, but also shortened the journey for me because the damage wasn't as extensive as it could have been if I ignored it. 
and I started off with a, a cancerous growth, seven and a half centimetres in my uh, backside, let's call it where it was. Yeah, it's co- colorectal, <laughs> colorectal cancer. Ca- cancer. So, I mean, were you passing blood? I was passing blood and I just, I thought it was a pile first, but um, um, and Yvonne, our doctor, uh, said, no, Joe, we'll, we'll send you for a test now. And uh, the camera found it straight away. So, and uh, I was straight into CUH. Uh, and I suppose the first person I would have met was this guy, Dr. Power. Um, and I know it's just the right title to put him, but as as oncologist, go, this fellow's a rock star. He's <laughs> the top of the tree. He's just an incredible human being. And he's just incredible. And uh, the and uh, Morgan McCourt, the surgeon, then he came up with a plan. And um, Carol McGibney, then she was giving me the radium treatment and the chemo. And between the three of them, I'm I now have a very positive story, fella. That's that is brilliant. And but like, when but, when but you Patricia, were my 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 whole point of this isn't like the three of them are three rock stars and they're at the top of their profession. But it's the people who make that happen, the people who open the doors in the morning, who, who make the breakfast, who go to work every day, leave their own problems at the door, and their, 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 the kindness that they give to patients who are in a lot of distress. And, and like fear is, is a huge thing because like, I, I was fortunate that I'd gone through most of this with my mother, so I knew I knew the rooms, I knew the smells, I knew the sounds, so... Like going in there for the first time is a fair level, though. But to hear that word cancer, Humphrey, on the day when there had to be a day when the diagnosis yeah. came through, how did you react to hearing those words? Um, <laughs> it was peculiar because when I woke up from the uh, when they did the the camera. I heard him ordering uh, a scan, so I said, oh, shit, you're in trouble. So when he came in to give me the results, so I said, I'm going to save you the bother. I have cancer. He said, you have. So like, it was, it was a, it was, it was, like, it didn't come as a surprise to me, but holy shit, what he said to me after that, I have no idea. Ah, yeah. The amount of people that say that, that's one of the reasons why they, they often ask you to have somebody with you because you just, you just literally, you can't. I mean, nobody, they're the words nobody wants to hear, yeah. even if you have a sneaking feeling that you're going to hear it. It's just, yeah. But, but OK, a plan was put in place and you um, started, did you, did you start with chemo or did you start with radium? I started, I started with chemo and radium. Okay. How did you get on with the chemo? You know, it was in it was in a tablet form, which okay. I thought was the weirdest thing ever, and I got on great with it. And okay. uh, just I was I look I was lucky that there was a, I had a bit of spare flesh. So you didn't have because you hear of people uh, horrendous side effects. Oh yeah, uh, to and chemo. I, I was I was so lucky, and the radium it didn't knock a bother off me. Did it? No, I was so lucky with that, and uh, it, over that Landor clinic. Um, it, it, it's 99% uh, women running it and there's, there's a few talk men there and the kindness of each and every one of them and like some people were just really really sick you had to walk you wounded like us did, but some people were in beds and wheelchairs and, and oh my god like they were almost too, too, too sick to touch but they, they manoeuvred them and they got them sorted and 
just incredible, incredible people. Incredible yeah, people. yeah, and they do that day in, day, day out, out. They, and they have to be having, you know, stuff going okay, on at home. And, and, and yeah, and, yeah, and, and yes, happy smiling face happy and come on with. Faces. And the radium, that is, is that the one, Humphrey, that you're up and down every day. Yeah, you're up and down every yeah. day, and like does does the, the Cancer Connect bus comes up, and oh, the, the the people just they pile in and they they get their treatment on, and they they try to organise the the appointments around the bus, and the rest of us will make our own way, and but like they they they'll, they'll try to facilitate you in every which way, and they're just so kind, and and I don't know, I I'll, I'll say kind another ten thousand times, but but it's just. It, it 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 just makes the whole thing um, bearable, and you just get there. But and it gets you. It helps get you through it. Yeah, and the other patients then that meet her, we all have some after near ache, and we're all discussing our various yeah. <laughs> problems. So, and that helps. But then some people you see they go to the corner and they don't want to talk. They don't want to talk to anybody, and that's a very lonely place. And it's lonely. So it is, it, but it, 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 even inside the hospital itself, you no, know, we the operation, the whole thing from start to finish. And I was, it was like ten or twelve days inside, and like you, you couldn't, you couldn't have asked for better treatment. It's just I, I couldn't see in any which way or form I could have got better treatment. And when you would have gone in for your surgery, would there, would there have been the no visiting rule at that stage? Oh, no or? visiting. No, yeah. no visiting. And you know, for for the first four or five days of the surgery, do you know what? I didn't even want to see a visitor. Yeah, because that's true. Sleep, oh Jesus! I, so like, uh, it, it, like it, it, it's good for the hospital for the for the COVID and everything else. But do you know, I I wasn't able for a visitor. Yeah, that it actually. I've heard again. I've heard other people say that that it's worked in yeah. in their favour. I've particularly heard of it from some of the new mums giving birth, saying it was great just to have a few days in the hospital with, <laughs> without having oh, yeah. to meet people and people oh, you yeah. know coming in their hundreds when when there's a new baby be, uh, born. Yeah. Uh, so so there is there are there were some uh, pluses to that no visiting rule uh, uh, for sure. And yeah. I, I love the fact the way you talk about the kindness of all the people uh, working at you know either the Glendore unit. Or right across the hospital you know kindness costs nothing and you can do all the training in all of the universities in all of the hospitals to be the best consultant and the best clinical nurse manager nobody can teach you kindness though it's it's just something that's ingrained in people isn't it oh it it look back to vocation you can call it all different things Um, but they the level of treatment, like we we have nurses there from the Philippines, from India, from from Ireland, from Northern Ireland, England, doctors from all over, and just the decency and kindness they 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 gave us. And do you know there was a, I, I, I don't know. We we hear all these bad stories, and like I said, look, we better tell about the good stories as well. And so that's the. And it is, it is, CUH is a centre of excellence when it comes to cancer care. It it has saved more lives and will continue to save more more lives. Okay, so good to know you're on the road to recovery, which is is the important thing, Humphrey. Absolutely. Okay. so we're going to have to next year. We're going to have to try to come up with some fundraising thing for them. So we will we'll put our heads together for well, that. But get back to us. Get back to us, and we'll help I you just, out any way we I, can. I just want to mention one guy here, Michael Burton. He's doing thirty-two 
half Ironman in 32 counties in 32 days. He's done 17. He's in Clare today. He'll be in Cork uh, on Sunday, swimming in the Warren. And he's raising um, money for cancer research for Movember and for Jigsaw. And so you can follow him on Instagram, Michael Burke. He's, he's, he's the wife's first cousin. Where is he from? He, he's from Wicklow himself. Okay. Michael Burke. Burton. Burton, Burton. Yeah. Okay, we'll check him out on, on Insta. That's yeah. a, uh, that's incredible what, what he's doing in, in 32 yeah. days. Okay. And look, Patricia, um, thanks very much. No, for no, listen, to, uh, uh, our pleasure. And, and the other message I want to get out uh, to people because I think it's an important part of your story is don't ignore the symptoms. Oh, Even no, if no, the no, symptoms no, can be a bit embarrassing, particularly oh, when it yeah, comes absolutely. to men, get in there and get, get, get it checked out. Otherwise, we have... The outcomes, the longer you ignore this thing, the outcomes dramatically fall off. Okay, listen, good health to you, Humphrey. Thank All you right, for that. Mind thanks very much. God for bless. Sure. God bye bless. Bye. Okay, bye bye. bye. That is uh, Humphrey Deegan, a, a former uh, Clonic Hilty Town Councillor. John Paul, I'm going to take a very quick break and then I'm going to come back uh, because we've been contacted by somebody else who's, uh, who's on an early cancer journey. Uh, we'll do that after these. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. I'm going to stay on the topic of CUH when it comes to cancer care and Humphrey Deegan really outlining uh, what he saw as centre of excellence and the fantastic care he got and the importance of early diagnosis because Eileen out on Bear Island has contacted us. Good morning Eileen. Good morning Patricia. Yeah, I was just going when I saw your name pop up and I didn't get a chance because John Paul was busy on the phones. This is our Eileen who was always so positive in the early days of lockdown (laughs) and kept us. Ah you're and you you always are. I'm reading on the screen you've had a recent breast cancer diagnosis. Yes. Yes, um, out of of the blue. Okay. Out of the blue it came, yeah. I went to my local doctor, Dr. Jackie Gleason, with a mole in my leg, which I had before COVID and was supposed to be removed. And after COVID, I said I'd go back to work. Yeah. And and, um, she said, yeah, I'll sort that out for you. And we were chatting. And um, she just said, is there anything else? And I said, look, sure, no, I'm here. I said, I have an ache in my shoulder. Uh, you know, only yeah. I, I don't know, I'd arrange it or what, and you know, it's uh, so she set me up and she started examining me, and um, the next thing I heard her saying, "Oh, uh, we'll forget them all. This needs to be seen to straight away." Um, she said, "I found a lump uh, in my breast, and it snowballed from there. You know, I've had a mastectomy, and um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer." And you hadn't felt the lump yourself? Oh, nothing, no. nothing. Oh, no, like I say, I only went out because I was I wanted to get the mole in my leg removed. For and vanity was... purpose, vanity purpose. <laughs> I, I know, yes, I, I know, you know. And was the dull ache in your shoulder, do you think that was linked to the lump? Oh, it was, oh, yeah, it was, it was yeah, but right. I didn't know, I didn't know that. Like, no. I thought it was just, I thought I'd wrenched my shoulder. And it wasn't an, it wasn't an ongoing thing, it was just annoying more than anything else. You know, kind of a achy pain, and I thought she'd just give me anti-inflammatories and send me home. And uh, within a week, I was up in COH having a biopsy and a mastectomy, and um, and a biopsy, sorry, and ultrasound and a mammogram, and they discovered I had breast cancer. And then I was in another ten days. I was operated on, and I had my right breast removed. And, and it's and similar again to Humphrey. Once you get in, once the diagnosis is done and you're in the system, 
it seems to be like a really well-oiled machine. It works. Oh my God, yeah. they, they were fantastic. I mean, I, I'm just in awe of them, Patricia, really, I am. The care, the concern, you know, um, Dr. Edel Quinn, like, she makes you feel like you're the only person. She spends time with you. She talks to you and your family because, you know, when you go in for the diagnosis, obviously, they tell you to bring a family member with you. So, you know, you know, then it's not going to be good news. I know, I know. You know? And, 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 um, and it, your reaction when you heard the news, Eileen, was... It... Uh, then my reaction when I heard the news was consoling everyone else. <laughs> that doesn't surprise and, you know, me with you. Until <laughs> my niece said to me, you know, for God's sake, why you can't, you know, it's, a, it's an awful thing to happen, you know, to you. And then I began to realise, yes, it is, you know. But um, at first, I think you, you, you're kind of, you, you're out of yourself. Do you know what I mean? You're concerned about everyone else. And that's, you know. and that's the nature of who you are as well. Well, it is, well, I suppose. Well. Like, yeah. you, you think, if I die, what's going to happen to, you know... Everybody my, else. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. The, the, but the one thing, the recovery from be- breast cancer is incredible compared yeah. to, say, 30, 40 years oh ago. God, you got yeah, a diagnosis and you were nearly looking at a coffin. It's completely yeah. different today, yeah. isn't it? But, but you still feel that. You still feel that when you get the diagnosis. Yeah. You still feel, because when I heard the word I suppose I, Patricia, I'm 75, and I never thought at 75 years of age I'd be diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah, far, farthest thing from your mind. A farthest thing from my mind. Yeah, farthest thing from my mind. So like it was a complete shock. I suppose I'm still in shock. Tell yeah. you the truth, because that last month has been just a roller coaster. And I think when you get home, which I did you know, when I came home, and then it hits you. Yeah. And and you get this depression sets in. Because, you know, part of your body is gone and you're looking at yourself and, you know, it's 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 not nice. It really isn't. It's, it's a horrible thing to happen. But, you know, you, you have to, you know, you have to get on with it and you have to deal with it and you have to deal with it in your head, you know. And your and body, yeah, your body's yeah. changed. Yeah. Your body has changed yeah. completely. You yeah. know, your body has changed completely. But, you know, I, I think I'm just in awe of the care I got. I really am. And, and I were the surgeons... Like that man that was on there, I think it's just, you know, you hear so much about the health service and you hear so many negative comments about it that I just want to, you know, I want to say, like, I couldn't fault it. From my own doctor right through to the... And the breast care centre at CUH is just... It's out on its own. It really is for you, care. You have a great GP as well who... who oh, I have, who, I have. I would GP. be forever grateful to her because she literally saved my life. You know, she really did because she could have just given me anti-inflammatories and said, "Go home and take those." You know, and and were the surgeons happy with the operation? Do they feel oh, they yeah. got it all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's all good. Some ongoing treatment now, but but that, that But I'm very positive, Patricia. It's going to be fine. Do you, you know? have to go for the the radium up and down, up and yeah, down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, I, I, but it will be fine. It really will. You yeah. know, it it um. It's um, I'm I, I probably die of old age. I'll die of old age. They'll be sick of me. You would know? be like you'll be like the Queen at ninety six. <laughs> well, no, I don't know all about that, but, but it's just you know I I you have to be you have to be positive. You really do because if you let negative thoughts enter your head, you know you 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 really will go insane. So just you have to keep positive. You really do, and I am. I am very positive and, you know, I'm going to beat this. And yeah. and how are you? And are you feeling, are you feeling stronger every day? And 
I am. Yeah, I am. And and, and the, oh, don't get me wrong, there are days when I feel terrible, you know. I do. I feel, you know, I cry a lot, you know. Um, but that's natural. It is. Because, it is. you know, I it do. Is. I cry a lot. But, you know, but still, um, I believe that, that I'm going to get through all this and I'm going to come out the other end just, you know. And when, do, when does the radium start or have you a day yet? I'm up next week now. Are you? Okay. Uh, How yeah, will you yeah. get up and down with the Cancer oh, Connect um, bus? Um, I, have, I have great family. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> I have great family yeah. and they're, you know, I have. I have great family and yeah, yeah. I, I must say they've been fantastic as well, you know, because it's been a horrible year for us, you know, after losing my sister in January um, and we're still suffering, you know, because like I said to you, my sister was the, the heartbeat of us, you know. She was, we, we, we all branched out from her. We sent her, she was the centre and, you know, and when she died, we were all, I don't know, astray. Lost, yeah. lost. Yeah. yeah, and we were only just getting, you know, coming to terms with it, you know, and then this happened and, you know, so it's it's been one of these years. You'd be um, glad to see, you'd be glad to see the back of well, 2022. Well, I suppose, but, um, the reason I rang really was to just say I agreed with that man about the care you get. And the kindness. Know. I loved the and way the he kindness. spoke about the and kindness. And the way they, they make you feel, you know, like you matter, you know. And you do and matter. You do matter. Yeah. You matter yeah, to a whole host someone, of people. For someone like with cancer, you know, and, and when you, like that man said, when you hear the word and like they make you feel, you know, that they're going to make it right, you know, and that. You know, you're, they're definitely going to deal with it and make it right. And it gives you such a feeling of, you know, I don't know what it is. It's like uh, this comfort feeling you get when, you know, on a winter's evening, a cold winter's evening, when you're inside by the fire and it's raining outside and you have this wonderful comfort and feeling. I do. I know exactly that, what you're talking that, about. Well, that's what they make you feel. They make you feel such comfort you get from the way they talk to you. And the way they make you feel like you're important and your life is important. They That's really beautiful. You, That's you know? really beautiful. And you yeah. are important to to so many people. I know to your own family, you're much loved. Yeah. But you're yeah. important to our little radio family here as well because you brought <laughs> so you, much Patricia. hope to people, particularly at the start of the pandemic. Will you yeah. stay in contact with us and let us know? I will. I and will if there's indeed. anything we can ever do, we're always just a phone call Thank away. Thank you. Thank you. You but look after to, yourself. But just to give the health service a shout out and say they are. I, I don't care what people say. I have found them. I couldn't say any. I couldn't have any negative comments about them I really could the workers on the and ground the is up there you know it really is so look yeah. after yourself thank you Patricia God bless God bless much. and thank good you. health that's uh, the wonderful Eileen out on uh, Bear Island you're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed some of you causing comments in first. I just want to give a shout out to Sheila because I think this is the first time I've had a text in like this from anyone. Sheila says, hi Trish, I am one happy woman today. And you're thinking, why is our Sheila so happy? She says, I got the old age pension. She said, I never thought I'd be so happy to get old. But due to the year I was born, 1956, I kept missing out on the pension because they kept rising the age. It was like chasing a butterfly. Luckily, due to COVID, they didn't rise the age last year. So I got it by the skin of my teeth just as well says Sheila as I'm getting more decrepit by the day I'm sure you're not Sheila congratulations uh, to you and long may you draw that pension and then a number of people have 
contacted us with regard to both Humphrey telling his cancer story and just to say to people why we might all give out about the health service if God forbid you get a diagnosis of cancer and you're lucky to be under the care of CUH the wonderful care that Humphrey got and he just wanted to throw a spotlight on that and that led then to our gorgeous friend of the programme Eileen from Bear Island who I didn't realise in the last month had been diagnosed with breast cancer and Eileen sharing her story some reaction to both of those Hi Patricia well done to Eileen telling her breast cancer story I have travelled that very same road it was back in 2014 um, thank, thank you but thank God I am feeling fantastic now uh, enjoying your programme thank you for that and that gives uh, good hope to, uh, to Eileen out on Bear Island as well and to Killarney listeners says Hi Patricia I went through open heart surgery in 2005 and to my horror I had to go through it again 10 years later in 2015 and I did it all under the public system I can't fully explain how great everyone was but I received superb care I hate it when somebody knocks the public system over the private system it is second to none and that's from one of our Killarney listeners thank you and another person signing breast cancer patient saying hi Patricia I have to reiterate what both Humphrey and Eileen said on your programme in the last hour about Cork University Hospital and the wonderful staff who help you feel safe and special while there also to another very special group of people all the staff in the Cork Breast Clinic and that signed a breast cancer patient so thank you I appreciate people taking time out uh, to send those uh, texts uh, and whatsapps uh, into us and all we can do is wish each and every one of them continued good health but I really hope if somebody is, is up in CUH maybe they're listening I don't know but if you're heading into CUH particularly if you're heading into any of the cancer specialties that we've been talking about today tell them please that we were talking about them and everyone was speaking so highly uh, about them and I think what will ring uh, ring or stay with me for quite some time is Humphrey talking about the kindness and kindness costs nothing and you can't train to be kind it's just it's, it's either in you or it's not so well done to each and every one of them now back to something I mentioned at the, at the start of the programme wasn't it because we had a call in from a listener in County Limerick from Newcastle West who was raging giving out about the GAA in Limerick who had launched a holiday fundraiser for the All-Ireland Senior Hurling team and they're selling the new training jersey and you get a beanie hat and a letter from the manager and the captain and the price of it was €150 and the money was going to be used to take the All-Ireland Senior team on a bit of a holiday to say well done lads on your great win. Well, (laughs) inundated with people really... Agreeing, I think, with the Newcastle West uh, listener, somebody says Limerick people will tell them where to go. I'm sure the good people of Limerick, if they have spare money, would rather give it to charity, not to their local GAA. Uh, A North Cork GAA man says that is an absolute joke from the Limerick GAA. They were 45 years waiting for four All-Irelands. Cork has won 30 and they don't make any fuss about it, says a North Cork GAA man. Someone else says if the Limerick GAA want to take the team on holidays or for that matter any team then let the GAA pay for it. They charge enough for tickets. Hopefully the Limerick people will tell them where to go. I'm sure the good people of Limerick would rather give their money to charity. Someone else says why doesn't the GAA pay for the holiday for the Limerick team? Look at all the money they've made out of this match and other matches. And someone else saying the very same thing uh, we, the, we all know what the GAA are like. Where does all their money go why don't they pay for the holidays themselves? They make millions. 
And uh, yet they seem to have to go out and fundraise for everything. And then by WhatsApp, the GAA are awash with money, says this texter. They should be funding that holiday for the team themselves. What are they making out of the Garth Brooks concerts in Croke Park, uh, says uh, Tim. And there's two more of those, isn't there? Um, on t- tonight and tomorrow night, isn't it? If you're heading to Garth Brooks, enjoy. And then someone else gives us an update to say, Hi Patricia, I read this morning, uh, due to the amount of criticism over the price of that fundraising jersey, €150, Euro, that the Limerick County Board have reduced the price to €100, which I still feel is rather pricey uh, but no one but no one at the end of the day is making anyone pay for the jersey and Limerick supporters were complaining for years waiting for an All-Ireland since 1973 now they've had four wins in five years and now they're complaining again I suppose the county board can't expect JP McManus to pay for everything but he does usually treat the team and their partners to a paid holiday at his hotel in Barbados and as far as I can recall the Limerick hurlers went on another holiday besides the one that JP JP paid for last year Uh, it's like the people complaining about the price of the All-Ireland final tickets but as I say there are another 30 counties wishing they had the chance I've been in an All-Ireland final and Limerick may as well enjoy their success now and their holidays as they've earned it and the wheel is always turning this is from Jim and hopefully it'll be Cork's turn in a few years to win an All-Ireland. Thank you for that Jim and I checked on Jim's information about the Limerick GAA deciding to reduce the price and they've actually issued a statement and it reads Limerick G I just bring some of it Limerick GAA wish to acknowledge the concerns raised by supporters over the cost of the recently launched Limerick GAA training jersey in a fundraising campaign for the holiday fund for the Limerick senior hurling team since winning the All-Ireland final and completing the three in a row the victory planning has been ongoing to arrange a team holiday for the victorious team management backroom team and their partners so it's not just the team there's a lot I don't know what the total is and how many is going this is done as a reward for the hard work and dedication that's involved in winning an All-Ireland title players management and backroom team sacrifice hours of their lives every week in the effort to secure the most coveted medal in the GAA to this end the team holiday is a reward to the team and their partners for all the sacrifices made. With the cost of international travel increasing, the cost of the team holiday to include players, management, backroom team and their partners is substantial. Limerick County Board will solely be responsible for paying this cost. So pointing out no money is coming out of Croke Park. It all has to come from the Limerick County Board. Back to the statement. To that end, the unique opportunity to purchase this special jersey was launched as a fundraiser to offset some of the costs. The team have not travelled on a team holiday so far this year. This once-off jersey will blah blah blah, don't need any of that. While launching the initiative, uh, GAA Limerick GAA were cognizant of the current economic situation and they've tried to keep the cost at a reasonable base as is possible. However, based on the response from our loyal supporters, we've listened to the feedback and to this end, we can now confirm that the cost has been reduced to €100. Those who've already purchased the original price and paid the 150 will be refunded the difference and we'll be in touch with you in the coming days. And let me GAA appreciate the huge loyal fan base we have and they look forward to the successful campaign in 2023. So ends the statement. So they have listened power to the people and all of that. And I don't know what a hundred euro uh, will people instead think it's good value and pay it instead. But they certainly have listened to the criticisms. Uh, 
somebody else says Limerick GAA are okay for funds don't they get a lot of funding from JP McManus that is from uh, Joe they, well they get some I don't know how much how much uh, they get 0818103103 our lines are open you can text you can whatsapp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie there's still about 40 minutes left on a coffee morning and a book share. It's in aid of St. Michael's Centre in Bandon. It's on until one o'clock in St. Michael's Centre and that's on South Main Street in Bandon. Bingo's on in Mallow GAA Complex tonight, 8.15. Jackpot, €2,800, 45 calls, a 50-50 draw also on the night. If you have items to donate to the fundraising charity Picnic and Sale of Work due to be held in Newtown Chandram on the 1st of October, please contact Jean on 085-209044. Proceeds of the charity day will go to five charities, including the Irish Cancer Society, the Heart Foundation, Alzheimer's Society and Epilepsy Ireland. Kildallery Bingo will be held in the old store in the Creamery Yard tonight, 8 o'clock start. Once again, you still have the option to play inside or outside in your car. Jackpot, €950. And a writing for theatre workshop will be held over six weeks in the Schoolyard Theatre in Charleville. The workshop is funded by Cork County Council and participants are asked to just pay €50 towards the building expenses to apply. You need to be over 30. Submit a short sample of your writing by email to hollykatie at gmail.com. Closing it for applications is Thursday next, the 22nd of September. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now a feature film that was shot in West Cork last year. It had its premiere in London recently and will be screened in Dublin as part of the Underground Cinema Festival next Sunday. Is now trying to find a venue here in Cork so they can be shown to local audiences. To chat about Coast Road, I'm joined by the director and co-writer, and that is Brian Steins. Good afternoon to you, Brian. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm very, well, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose let's start uh, by chatting a little bit about the movie first. It's, I'm intrigued by this. It's a murder mystery set on a bus. Yes, on a bus. It's, it's our version of... Um, Orient Express, if you like, and it's a it's a low budget Orient Express movie. Now, um, it's more of a why done it than a who done it because it's fairly obvious, you know, in early into the film that who done it, but why are they doing it? Really, is the question. And the film is full of uh, core characters, lots uh, of great core colour there. And it was reviewed there recently by a London reviewer who said that it was very pleasant, very pleasant, very pleasant, and so, suddenly something happens and changed the whole movie, and then they loved it. So I'm dying to show it off to a Cork audience. I know, I know. And it almost sounds like when you're watching the movie, do you almost feel like you're sitting on the bus, eavesdropping in on all the other people's conversations? Is that sort of the idea yeah, behind it? That is exactly. You're listening to people's conversations, their troubles and what have you, and the various things. Yet here, you know, some things will happen, and you go, oh, why, why did they just say that? And that'll come into play later on, you know? And uh, what, what was, am I right in saying that it was filmed entirely in West Cork? So it was filmed on a bus between Goline and Barley Cove. So what we did, we took that coastal road, if you've taken it at all, it's a gorgeous uh, stretch of road between Goline and Barley Cove, that back road there. 
and uh, we travelled back and forth all day long for four days. <laughs> at, w- at one point, we had a guard that just sort of slowly pull up beside us, saying, "What's going on with this bus? It's going up and down." Yeah, <laughs> but they but they passed us by anyway. And I I saw the trailer. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm assuming summertime you filmed it, was it? It was actually October. We're almost a year. It was the, the very first week in October last year we filmed it. You got good weather for it. We got great weather for it. We were very lucky. So yeah. outside of it's a good it's a good murder mystery. Um, I'm lots of beautiful coastal scenes. Then yes, we got we got uh, some gorgeous drone footage of um, coast road there, and uh, from really high up, and also from you know low angles too. So that whole stretch of road, if, if you've never driven it, it's such a gorgeous stretch of road. I actually drove when I was looking for somewhere to to film. I put the word out to um, Fastnet Film Festival, who came back and said, "Well, you might want to check out, you know." And I went down and I drove around it. And I said, "Oh, that this is gorgeous! I have to film here." <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, you could have gone anywhere in West Cork. There's so many beautiful roads, but I mean, it's you certainly yeah. going to Bardicove. Uh, is have you any Cork connections yourself? Uh, well, I, I've been living in Cork since the, the mid nineties. Um, okay. So, would but, you know? Would you know West Cork well? I don't know West Cork well, but uh, when I had the idea for the film, it was to be shot in 2020 originally, and then something happened. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> and that kind of knocked, that put a, a scupper on it, so we had to postpone it for a year. Uh, but in that time, I got to travel around West Cork. I, initially, I was looking at um, Loch Hine area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll, we'll never get a bus here. There's no point in even trying to get a bus down here. Uh, so we needed a place that's not going to block up traffic, you know. And eventually I went through Goline and I took that, that smaller road between Goline and Barley Cove. Oh, this is it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, it's, and, it, and at that time of the year it wouldn't be very busy, so you were able to do what you needed to do. The, talk yeah. to me about the actors. Are any of them local? They're all Cork actors. Uh, they're from all over the place. There's actually a lady. She's from uh, just past Clonic County. Um, and she's an English lady, but she's been living there for quite some time. Uh, Alison Glennie is her name. Uh, we're very lucky to have, on board, have her on board. She was a terrific actress, and she came in kind of last minute too uh, to replace somebody who had to drop out due to a COVID uh, um, uh, incident. Um, but all Cork, so all, 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 all Cork. All Cork, all Cork. So there's nobody so putting through. on a Cork accent then. There's all genuine Cork accents. Yeah, all genuine Cork <laughs> accents, for sure. Okay. Is it <laughs> and diff- you know what's funny? You yeah. know what's funny? I, when I written it, because I'm from Dublin, I, I wrote it with a sort of a, a Dublin twang to everything, you know, and when, when they all did a read-through of it, I said, Brian, this is all sounds very Dublin. So when we change it, it's absolutely change it to a Cork. <laughs> <laughs> is it difficult to fund a movie like this, Brian? Um, this is all out of my own pocket, unfortunately. But uh, it was, it's, it's a thing. It's like golf. The people who play golf will spend a fortune on it. And this is what I do when I spend a fortune on it. And then I eventually I'll try to sell it. I'm trying to sell it at the moment. You know? yeah. But what I really want is for, for Cork people to see this film. I love it. And I think people will love it if they saw it. Yeah. So I'm looking for a venue for it. And you're, you're right to be proud of it. As I say, I've only seen the trailer and, and we were blown away. We were watching it in the office yesterday and it certainly yeah. doesn't look like something that's on a, a low budget. It, it really is. Uh, it looks really great. Because you did a premiere in London, didn't you? Well, it got into the Portobello Film Festival in London. Great. And it was shown last uh, Thursday. So it was one of the first films on in the festival. I was very proud of that. Uh, and then, of course, we got the, the nod in the underground cinema up in Dublin. 
so, and because it's not uh, what we call usually a festival darling, you know, festivals tend to favour the introspective or the experimental. And this is more of a crowd pleaser. So it, it wouldn't be a go-to film festival film, which is understandable, that's fair enough. But in the meantime, we'd love to get it in front of a core audience and let them see it. So, so what are you looking for? Ideally, a local cinema, is it, that will, that will show it over a number of nights? Or how does this work? Um, not really sure, except that uh, when we had finished it, we've, I finished it back in April. I rented an auditorium from Blackpool Cinema in Cork City. Yeah. We just we, we filled it up with people, not just family and friends of the cast and everything, but uh, a lot of people heard about us and they came in to see it. So we actually filled the auditorium and it was a great success. But now I'd like to bring it to West Cork and let West Cork people see it. So I don't even mind like if it's a, if a community hall or something, I could bring a projector uh, with, with an amp and speakers. We could do it that way. But, but certainly if there was a cinema who would, uh, you know, rent out an auditorium to me. And I suppose also, would there be an interest from the Cork? Uh, oh, listen, thing? absolutely. Uh, 100%. Yeah. The fact of just where it was filmed alone, people want to, want to go yeah. and, and see it. And, and I love the idea, I love the story behind it and, and, and all of that. And, and as you say, trying to solve who did, um, yeah. well, well, why, why they, did, why they yeah. did uh, the murder. It's interesting that you mentioned the Fast and Film Festival because when... We were talking about it yesterday in the office and we knew you were coming on today. I put a call through to Pauline Cotter from the Fastnet Film Festival uh, to see if she could help out. And she says, uh, with your permission, if we pass on all your details, she certainly said, I mean, there's a cinema in Bantry, for, for example. But she said she certainly should be able to point you in the right direction or make a few phone calls for you. So are you happy for us to pass on your details to Pauline? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll do that. We'll, 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 John Paul will do that uh, this afternoon and, and we'll let we'll let Pauline talk with you. And then once we know for definite where it's on and when it's on, uh, we certainly will give it, we'll, we'll, we'll let people know and give it as much uh, publicity as we can because I'd love to see uh, a lot of people uh, go along to see it. Because yeah, you're a freelance filmmaker. Is this your first feature film? It's my second feature film, actually. Uh, my first one I made about five years ago now. Um, and that was a very introspective and a very, very difficult film to watch. It's a, it's a, it's a very depressing film. So I don't plug that so much. I love <laughs> it very well, you know. Yeah. But uh, this one, I'm very proud of this one. It's just a crowd pleaser. I, that's why I'm really getting behind this one. And is is this what you do full time or is you do this as part time? No, this is part time. Actually, working. And you were talking about you were talking about hospitals earlier on, and I'm, I'm working in a hospital oh, I... in, in Cork City. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I won't say which one. <laughs> But your your passion, obviously, is filmmaking. It, I love it, absolutely. I've been doing it for years you now. Where did that stem from? Where did that all start out? Uh, I, I, I once thought I wanted to be an actor. I mean, I, I tried to be an actor and uh, I, the acting thing wasn't really suitable. It didn't suit me anyway. Uh, but I loved the whole process of creation. So uh, I think filmmaking then, and because I'm kind of technically minded, I mean, that's what I do for a living is I'm in, I'm in IT. Um so I love anything technical. So the technical aspect and the creative aspect is just perfect for me. Because you co you co wrote it, wasn't it as well? Yeah. So wrote the script uh, back in twenty twenty, and of course, then when we got postponed and due to COVID, I got in touch with another writer who had been winning awards locally in Cork City. His name is Michael O'Dowd, and asked him would he mind sort of uh, getting on board with me, add some things to it. So you know. Um, started up a little bit and he was great he came up with some great ideas and that's kind of what you need sometimes especially when you're writing a script that you're just you've had you've been you know, looking at it so much that you need a break from it and then somebody comes in with fresh eyes and they add so much to it that you didn't see you know 
Well, well done. Well, well, well done. It's called Coast Road. We just need to get a venue, as they say. We'll put, we'll hook you up with uh, Pauline Cotter. If she can't sort you out from the Fastener Film Festival, then nobody can. We wish you good luck with it, Brian, and good luck at the Film Festival in Dublin on Sunday as well. Thank you very much. Thanks a million for joining us. Uh, Bye bye. Good afternoon to you. That is uh, freelance filmmaker Brian Steins about a movie, as I say, that was shot completely on that coast road between Goline and Barleycove. As I say, I just literally saw a trailer of it yesterday and it, as always, West Cork always looks so well, doesn't it, when it comes on, on, on film. It's, and whenever I see it, when it, particularly and, and on a big screen in the cinema, we can just be so proud of it. It's just, it's stunning. It's just uh, stunning. So we wish Brian Steins the best of luck with Coast Road. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 Six two. 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We go from a freelance filmmaker to our movie reviewer, Mark Malone. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you're you're at a busy week watching movies for us. We're going to start with Fall. Here is a quick trailer from the movie Fall. You got this! Becky, you gotta come up here. Trust me. How do we get down? I don't have a signal. If anyone called 911, we'd be here by now. We have 50 feet of rope. I can't reach! Are we gonna make it? You can do this. Now we're looking at a thriller here on this one. Uh, yeah, it's called Fall, and it's got a brilliant tagline. The tagline is called Dropping Soon, uh, which I thought uh, uh, liked very much indeed. Uh, how are you with heights, Patricia? Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm, I can go up tall and look down. Yeah, no, I'm not that bad. I, don't put me on a roller coaster now or anything, but I'm not that bad with mm-hmm. heights. Okay, I'm, I don't particularly like it very much. I don't really like heights very much indeed. So you, you'll be fine watching this film. Me, on the other hand, made my stomach turned over about 10 times watching this film. It was a difficult watch for me at times. Do you know what I really hate? Movies when they swing a camera over the side of a building mm. and looks down. Yeah. But that's the one that really gets me. I, are you okay with that? Yeah, I can cope with that. Yeah, I can. So you'll be able to cope with this very well. If you've got vertigo and you have a problem with heights, this might be a problem for you. Uh, although I think they don't really take advantage of that as much as uh, I think they could have. Basically, it's about these two mountain climbers, these two women, who decide to climb to the top of the 2,000-foot radio tower. Now, when I say radio tower, basically, uh, what is that? Do you know the spire in Dublin? Yeah. Basically, like that, only it's 2,000 foot high. And it's got a um, it's got a ladder. Now it's been there for about a hundred years, so it's a bit kind of a bit on the rusty side. Uh, but the two girls decide, look, you know, they're mountain climbers. Let's do this, uh, you know, because one of them, uh, unfortunately, during a mountain climbing accident, lost her boyfriend, which is in the trailer, I think, and it's uh, it's at the start of the film. But they're and climbing so up a ladder. Friend... It's a ladder they're climbing Say, up. They're actually climbing up the it's ladder. It's a ladder. Yeah. Okay. They actually have a ladder, yeah. So they so they decide, look, you know, her friend decides, look, you need to get back in the game again. You need to get back up again, you know, just to, to get the adrenaline rushing, rushing again. So the two of them decide to climb this tower. Now, this tower has been there for about 100 years, and it is a bit kind of a, a bit on the rusty side. And it just so happened, coincidentally, as when they're 
uh, climbing up this tower, uh, parts of the tower begins to collapse. Now, it's been there for 100 years, and I should think that base jumpers have probably used it at some stage. So it was the only time when I watched this film where I thought, oh, come on, that can't be right. But anyway, they get to the top of the tower. What happens? The ladder falls down. So oh. they're stuck on this tiny little platform. So they're 2,000 foot uh, in the air. And um, and they're stuck at the top of this platform. Now, I should point out, of course, uh, that, um, well, your first question would be, well, why don't they just ring for help? Well, the fact is that they work around that in a very, very clever, smart way because they decide, look, there's no um, there's no coverage up there. They do have their phones, but there's no coverage up there. So it's, uh, it's an hour and 40 minutes long. So the question you've got to ask is, how then do you entertain an audience for an hour and 40 minutes long? This very small kind of claustrophobic kind of uh, screen and just these two characters on this little platform. Well, you do it by having a very, very good writer-director, man here by the name of Scott Mann, who's very, very clever indeed. I mean, I've talked about kind of small claustrophobic movies in the past. I, I've referenced Buried with uh, Ryan Reynolds quite a lot. And to keep the viewer occupied, you need to be able to, uh, first of all, really good pacing, really good writing, really good direction. And there's an awful lack of that in modern movies, but it's all here, I'm glad to be able to say. So then the writer has got to come up and think of really, really clever and interesting ways to keep your interest up for over uh, an hour and 40 minutes by doing really, really clever things. The good thing is that most of it makes sense. At no stage, really, apart from that bit at the start where you think, come on, why would this thing suddenly kind of deteriorate when they're climbing on it? Most of the time you're watching going, this is really, really clever indeed. And so the director manages through clever direction and very, very uh, good performances by the two women to be able to engineer a lot of tension and excitement. And your stomach really, uh, you know, you do become very much, much involved in, in this uh, film. You do care about the characters. You want them to survive as well. Um, it's a small, tiny budget movie. It's a B movie. It had a budget of three million. That's normally a very, very good sign for a small B movie, budget B movie to get to cinemas. And it has done. And it is good. And it is exciting. It looks really, really good on the big screen. I'm glad to be able to say that I saw it on the big screen as opposed to uh, on TV. Uh, the other interesting thing about it is that, that when it was first made, it was made as a 15 cert film. I believe it had something, something like 32 F-bombs, for example, in the <laughs> film. Um, it was bought out by a different company. They went back, took all of the swear words out by digitizing it, by first of all overdubbing, then digitizing their mouths. So at no stage did I notice any of that until afterwards when I read about it. The whole thing works. It's really exciting. The two women are very, very good. And um, yeah, if you have a problem with heights, they'll beware. Okay, and a kind of an edge of your seat stuff, I imagine, as they build up the tension. Very much, yeah, very yeah. much so, yes. I love it those is, movies. It is excellent. Yeah, I, do, I love those movies. Okay, fall market out of 10? I'll give it eight. Eight out of 10. Okay, that's a high score. Now, I, I saw this land on my desk from your Jaws, and I'm thinking, that can't be. Is that a remake of Jaws? Uh, well, we talk about me time first, I think, before we talk about okay, Jaws. Me time is done. Okay. Yeah, me time dropped on uh, on Netflix, and uh, this is a film that's written, produced, and directed by a man by the name of John Hamburg, who has made some very good stuff in the past. He made, he directed "I Love You, Man" and "Alarm Came Polly," which were two movies which I liked very much indeed. Um, this is a lot will depend on what you think, though, of Kevin Hart. It's a Kevin Hart movie. It also stars uh, Mark Wahlberg, who's not really in it very much. This is a, a Kevin Hart film. 
And I do have problems with uh, Kevin Hart movies, not so much with him himself, because I think he's a very good actor. I think he can be quite funny. I think his stand-up is very, very good. But the standard of his movies tend to be a lot to be desired. Uh, recently, for example, he made a film called, also which dropped on Netflix, called um, The Man from Toronto, which is really dull and really boring. This, on the other hand, is just pretty crass and horrible. It's not funny. I don't think I smiled or laughed once. And... It's just, if you're into bodily fluids, this is your thing. We've ah. spoken in the past. We've spoken in the past about vomit scenes, and I always ah. believe and always think in a comedy, if you've got a vomit scene, you're you're running out of ideas. And um, there's also a scene, for example, where Kevin Hart he believes his wife is having an affair, so he breaks into the man's house. And how can I put this delicately? He leaves a little deposit on the bed. <sighs> uh, just think of the week in Johnny Depp trial. Ah. <laughs> and, and it's all there to see in perfect and beautiful cinemascope, I can tell you. And um, and that's the level of the humour uh, of this thing. It is absolutely dreadful. It really is. Like last week, OK, I didn't particularly like Blackbird very, very much. But yeah. at least, you know, I was going to say to you last week, do I hate Blackbird? I said, no, there's an awful lot of movies out there that I hate. Do is... I think it's one of the worst films ever made, which people are saying? I said, no, it's not one of the worst films I've ever, I've ever seen. This has both criteria. I hated this. And I think it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. And I don't want to ever see it again. If you were to say to me, you can watch Blackbird 10 more times. <laughs> and then watch this. I'll watch Blackbird 10 more times. Oh, thanks. It's got to be bad. Give me a rating for out of 10 for me time. It's got to be a negative, is it? <laughs> you ain't getting nothing. Nothing. Zero out of 10. That's the first this year that we got a zero out of 10. Now, <laughs> talk to me about Jaws. Is this Jaws? Is this a remake of Jaws? Uh, it's not a remake. It's the original Jaws from oh. uh, 1975, 76, I think. It's in 3D. Oh. And which is why I went to see it. It's in 3Ds. It's in your cinema right now. Uh, look, I've seen Jaws 40 times. I saw it when it came out in the cinemas uh, back in the 70s. And I've seen it on the big screen a few times over the years whenever they reissue it. Uh, don't get this mixed up with Jaws 3D. Jaws 3D came out in 1983 with Dennis Quaid and is one of the worst films I have ever seen. <laughs> this, on the other hand, this is Jaws. I worried a bit whether or not would I enjoy it, the fact that it's in 3D, because, of course, it wasn't filmed initially in 3D, obviously, but it has been kind of retrofitted by a computer into 3D. Um, and even though it's been beautifully cleaned up, um, yeah, the, the 3D kind of annoyed me. And whilst I'm watching it, I'm thinking, I wish I was watching this in 2D because Jaws is just simply one of the most perfect films ever made from start to finish. And I became obsessed with it again about 10 years ago. I'd seen it over the years and I'd kind of enjoyed it. As you know, I became obsessed with John Williams for a time. Yeah. I think if you've got it, I think you've got the theme there. I, I do, think. yeah. Um, that's uh, that's the, the theme one. Uh, one sec, here we go. Yeah. Oh, that sound. And of course, when John Williams actually played that for Spielberg, Spielberg thought he was joking. Uh, but he pointed out to Spielberg, no, look, the, the, the cellos actually represent the shark. So we don't really see the shark because the shark didn't really work very well. Uh, the other thing I love about it, though, is it's not just simply that theme. I think when the three men go out into the boat to chase after the shark, I think that John Williams' seafaring kind of theme uh, is one of the best themes I've ever heard. It's incredible. 
it's 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 incredible. It's absolutely, and it's as it's fresh absolutely as, joyous. Yeah, is what it's it is. as fresh as it was when. How how long ago? When, when did you say it was filmed? 70, 70, 75. 75, Wow. Um, I, I, and I'm just in because I I would have I would have gone to the. I, I definitely saw it in the cinema, uh, but then over the years, you know, it would appear on TV and it's just one of those movies you can't not like. You, you sit down and watch. Is it worth going back and seeing it now in, in 3D? Um, I'm shocked when I hear and when I meet people who said they've never seen it. And oh. um, if you haven't seen it, it's a film you really, really must see. The weird thing about it is that when it came out, it had a PG rating. It's now got a, I think they've increased that now to a 12 rating. Um, but the thing about this film is that like from start to finish, it is just perfection. It really is. Um, there are, you know, millennials who have a problem with it. I saw there's this kind of viral video went viral for a while with these millennials kind of talking about the film after they'd seen it. And they go, the shark was really fake. And that's all they could say about this extraordinary movie, which is beautifully directed, beautifully acted. I mean, the three main leads are really, really extraordinary. There are so many moments in this film which you don't see in the cinema nowadays. You don't see where it just excites you and it looks so beautiful. And all the performances are are extraordinary. And of course, the thing about when they were making the film, the shark didn't work. They called the shark Bruce. It didn't work. So therefore, to represent the shark, they decided to use these barrels, which of course added to the excitement, which added to the tension because again, What's scarier, what you can see or what, what you, you can see? Yeah. And there's one there's one extraordinary scene where, you know, they, Spielberg wanted to film out in the ocean. So they went out in the open sea. And there's a scene where the three barrels approach the the the, the orca, uh, which is the name of the ship, uh, the boat. And it goes and the three barrels go right under the water. And obviously they did it for real in those days. It was obviously done by divers. It's an extraordinary sequence. And it's the kind of sequence you don't see in cinema these days. And... I, my obsession started again about 10 years ago and I, I've watched it about 20 times since then. And every time I watch it, I see something different. I see something new. I see something that kind of really excites me. So I would say to people, look, if you've never seen it, go. you have to see this film. Yeah. It is still a cracker. And especially go see it at the cinema just for the sound of nothing else because the music, the theme is, and the music is, is just uh, incredible. Uh, so Mark, it out of 10, Mark. Well, that gets a good 10. 10 out of 10. Well done. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for that. Bye bye. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon back on Monday. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.